Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, hey, where you been? Buckeye talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome to Buckeye Talk. It is the first post post game Buckeye Talk of the 2020 season. We're calling this Monday Madness. For those of you who've been following my column, I'm Nathan Baird from Cleveland.com, by the way. For those who've been following that Monday column, we're just tying it all together now. That is, it's it's branding. It's branding in the age of um, of, of the 21st century. Uh, I'm Nathan Baird. He's Doug Maurice. This is going to be the the podcast that kind of accompanies that what has now become a weekly staple for us at Cleveland.com. Doug, I kind of uh, I feel for you a little bit. You obviously have a very busy weekend, but did you feel like the Browns game today and kind of the last minute insanity? Does it balance out the uh, lack of drama that you got from the Buckeyes on Saturday? Uh, yeah, I mean, I actually love I, I it's a crazy weekend, but I love doing Ohio State on Saturday and the Browns on Sunday. And I even tried last year. I wanted to like write a column every Monday that kind of linked the two because I know there's a lot of people out there who care about both. But um it did. It did. It's a reminder to me. I mean, typically I am more optimistic about the Browns than most people and more pessimistic about Ohio State than most people, which I guess just means I'm a cranky old contrarian, which is fine. But yes, it was. I don't know if I could live in a world where like every Ohio State game, you know, 11 times a year came down to like a last second pass. But I will say for people who do care about the Browns and Ohio State, the way Baker Mayfield played in the second half. Uh, especially late in the game on Sunday reminded me so much of how JT Barrett played in the Penn state comeback in 2017. And I just think they're so similar as quarterbacks who hesitate are reluctant to let things rip sometimes. And then when their backs are against the wall, they actually play better. Hmm. And, and I've said that a million times and I thought this was an, a, another example of it. And it, it reminded me of 2017 Penn state so much. Sounds like a post. Have you already written that post like in the past? Have you made that comparison before? I have I have had some real trouble lately with writing things and in the, being in the midst of writing them and saying, I have written this before <laughs> and I'm remembering it. I hope the readers aren't remembering it because this is a repeat. So I don't know. And I'm also at the point where I talk so much now. I don't know when I talk something and when I write something. So I'll probably have to go back and search in the system. I think I have written it, but if I haven't, I'll probably write it for Monday. We are recording this Sunday night, even though it's called Monday Madness, because we want you guys to receive this madness first thing Monday morning. Um, so not a lot of new news that's come out since Ohio State's 52-17 to 17 victory over Nebraska. We don't have any news on Chris Olave's health or anybody else's health or anything like that. We do know Ohio State jumped, moved up a couple spots in the AP poll. They're now number three, which is sort of where they should have been all along if people had been voting for them. I think kind of all is right with the world, at least in that aspect of the AP poll. So for those of you who listened last week, we have sort of a format we follow. We're going to kind of go through this. And since we, we will start with the AP poll, we have a segment called ballot boxing. And this is where Doug gets to tell me how much of an idiot I am about the AP poll that I turned in this week. Um, I did notice this week, I forgot to look and see if I was the most, but I went to college poll tracker and they, you can give like a little thumbs up or thumbs down on whether you think the person had a good poll. And I had like minus 32, which is like by far, like by far the most minuses I think I've ever had, which I think is because I was voting for, I was voting Ohio state and other people in the big 10 pretty high, even though they hadn't played a game. So I think you got other conferences that fans out there voting against me, but uh, Doug, you get to give a, a thumbs up or thumbs down, a verbal thumbs up or thumbs down to me 
to my face over Zoom. Where'd I get it wrong? I will say one thing that actually is a piece of news since Ohio State's game is that Michigan has a pulse. So that was a thing that that happened Saturday night after Ohio State was done. We'll come back to that. Uh, but I, 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 I'm going to say the same thing I said last week, which is I don't know how anybody can vote right now. I always am cognizant of this. I think you have done a very good job. You still are not voting for Oklahoma and Texas, which I respect. And I bet, are they in the poll? I don't care about the poll, so I don't look. The actual poll, I would bet they're in. I bet Oklahoma's in for sure. I'm I think sure. Oklahoma did maybe sneak back in. Let me double check real quick. So, I typed it in earlier today, but uh, I don't. Uh, Oklahoma is now number 24. So I appreciate Texas the, is still not ranked. I appreciate the fact you're not voting for them, but I am always very, I'm very much about this kind of thing. So I don't want us to spend much time on this because again, nobody cares. You have Indiana behind Penn State, even though Indiana beat Penn State. Yep. How, what is your head-to-head voting philosophy? And are, are you influenced at all by the fact that Michael Penix actually did not reach the end zone yes. on that play, by the way? He yes. did not. The ball but, definitely hit the ground short of the pylon, and I get it. They didn't want to overturn it, but I'm not sure anybody is disputing that. It was a miraculous play. He is a talented player. That is a great win for Indiana. He did not get a point of fact. He did not get there. So how, why did you vote that way? But, but is it a great win for Indiana since he didn't actually get the win? It's kind of like, it's kind of like when ask no, Indiana, I know, I know ask Indiana. It's kind of like when you um, say that Ohio state isn't going to beat Nebraska by 30 points. And then they do, but only because they score a touchdown that the coach then later says he never should have scored. It's kind of one of those things. Uh, yeah, it does factor into how I vote for those teams because, I mean, first of all, I think a good team can lose on the road to another good or pretty good team, and that doesn't mean they the bottom falls out of their standing and they have to plummet down the pole. I drop it, but, but head to head. State. But also, I don't care where you. But it's just head to head. So, but I but I think home field does factor. Even in 2020, I think home field is a factor there, and you have to look at the way the game unfolded a little bit too. Not just the way, not just the Michael Penix play at the end where if, if the officials had made a very other very reasonable call, it would have just been a, a win for Penn State, and you wouldn't have been disputing whether which team should have been ahead of the other one. But you just look inside that game. I mean, there were a lot of ways where Penn State outplayed Indiana in that game. They outgained still, like 250 yards or so. Right. But also scoreboard. I, that's what I'm saying, though. So it's it's both. I think but Penn State had to come saying. down. You, you voted Penn – I don't care about in between. You voted – you voted Penn State still ahead of Indiana. All I care about yes. is the head-to-head. So, But you have no problem with that for all these other factors. But if Michael Penix had galloped and done, done a somersault on the into the end zone on the two-point conversion, untouched, no doubt about it. I think I still would have voted him. Win. I think I still would have voted him the same. You would have voted Penn State because ahead it's of still, Yeah, because you're still voting, I think, for which team you think is better. And I know that that is – it's a subjective thing, and I try to take as much subjectivity at, out of it as I can. I go through every morning, and it, it sucks because a lot of these – we have to turn this around so fast that a lot of the computer rankings don't update fast enough. But I spend time Saturday morning going through and inputting into a spreadsheet all of the computer rankings from various places and then getting their average and looking at that. And that's not what I base my poll on, but it's something that I reference when I do my poll. So I understand why people have, would, would vote the other way. I was getting a lot of grief last year. I'm trying to think of which which two teams I was. I think it was Auburn and Florida. One had beaten the other one, and then but later in the season, I was voting the other one ahead of the one that had won um, because they had won at home in a close game. And the results that you had seen since then, I thought bore out that the other one should have been ranked higher. What um, results have you seen since Indiana Penn State? Well, just the results of that game. I know I understand that one team won, you but I don't know that, one, that you understand that one team won, but you're ignoring that. I am because I think you're voting for which team you think is the better team. And Indiana proved they were the better team by winning. Mm, no, Indiana won the game. That doesn't actually mean they're the better team. Okay. No, it's a philosophical was Clemson thing. was Clemson better than Ohio state last year. I would have just had a podcast last week, no, but I don't, I mean, that's what a scoreboard's for. I mean, I'm not here. I'm not here to overrule the scoreboard. I go by the scoreboard. You said it's subjective. It's a it's an incredibly subjective process, and in the in in the midst when you're drowning in a subjective process, I reach for any life raft of objectivity, like for instance a scoreboard that says one team beat another team. 
particularly when they've only played one game. So I'm not giving you crap. Well, I am. But I'm just interested in your answer because I would have no doubt about it, voted Indiana ahead of Penn State, and then let the rest of the season prove that I should reconsider that. But right now, man, why would I go against the scoreboard? I think that's a fair way to look at it, too. Again, it's just this is why they have 62 of them. Um, I, because that's why that's how you come to the consensus that is out there. So I'm sure I'll hear from some IU fans this week, but uh, that's fine. I heard from them last year when I wasn't voting for them at all because they were bad. Um, at least I'm voting for them now, which is uh, a step in the right direction, I suppose, for them. We're going to find out more about them, I think, pretty soon, though. They got this big game at Rutgers. That's a tough one. And then um, pretty soon they play Michigan. They play some other good teams. So um, we'll see if this is something they can sustain. I kind of feel... I kind of wish that this win had come for them in a less controversial way. I would, I, anything I've written about I, Indiana these last couple of years, I wrote about it in a madness column a couple of weeks ago where I was kind of breaking down the potential, um, you know, the, the, the upset watch for like every team in the big 10, whether you were on upset watch or whether you were the team that needed to be feared. And I basically said like, they've got to go beat somebody like this. Like they can't just beat the teams they are supposed to beat and some bad non-conference games and expect us to think they're actually good. They, you can't keep getting away with that. You have to go beat somebody legitimate, preferably even on the road. So getting this win at home over Penn State is a big deal for them. I understand it. But, man, I wish it had come and maybe just – even if it was just him getting that two-point conversion in in a more clear, indisputable way, I think that would have been better for them, obviously, than winning it the way they did. They'll take it. It kind of taints it a little bit. It's the biggest program win in 30 years. I don't think they're complaining. I am shocked, by the way. They're actually ahead of Penn State in the actual AP poll. I am flabbergasted by that because the argument you and I just had, I had very publicly for 10 years voting in the AP poll. And I was singing into the wind most of the time on that. And people thought I was an idiot. And this week, Indiana 17 Penn State 18, Indiana with 23 more points in the Nitty Lions. Pretty convincing. I'm stunned, but good for the poll. And I don't care about it. And no one should. <laughs> right, right. Because it's meaningless. No offense to your ballot. Understand, understand. Well, you passed it along to me, so I, I guess by now I understand. I ruined why. it. I, I, I ruined it. I, it's like you are. It's like it, it is. It is like you must deal with the tragic legacy of it's like if you went back it's like oh who are your ballots ancestors it's like oh that's no i think most people ballot because there's enough turnover in fandoms and it's especially thing that younger people if you're going to be talking about on twitter it's like the younger group so it's like they only care about whose ugly face is next to it now not whose ugly face was next to it five or ten years ago you know it's it's more about the the moment so i love when i Um, see those millennials on twitch debating the ap poll (laughs) right that's all that's all they do um on to margin call this is where we each pick a player a team a coach a conference or something around college football that we're buying or selling um i'm gonna let you go first because it i know you told me what yours is and it's becomes a very relevant piece of information on this sunday night i'm buying graham mertz and then he got the covid so not to make light of it i i hope you'll have your receipt He's, I mean, yeah, no, I'm, I'm not taking it back. I'm not going to take it back. This isn't like the guinea pig where you try to take it back because they gave you the wrong one. No, no, I wouldn't do that to Graham. Graham's the real deal. There's a quarterback revolution happening in the big 10 and it started in Wisconsin. And we need to talk about Graham Mertz first for what he did. He and Justin Fields both had the the same game. They're both 21 of 22 in this first weekend. And they had a good win over Illinois on Friday night. And I know you and I were texting about it and you were like, well, it's Illinois. And I knew you were kind of joking. It's like, they also lost Illinois last year, but it still fascinates me. Here we are. If Jack Cohn hadn't broken his foot, Graham Mertz wouldn't have started. And guess what? Paul Christ, Graham Mertz should have been started whether Jack Cohn was healthy or not. So here we are again, the loyal to a fault coaching style, insanity, absolute insanity. And I hope Paul Christ went to bed on Friday night after their win and thought to himself, I'm never going to make this kind of mistake again. I'm going to let the best guy play. I'm going to give a younger guy a chance. And if he proves it, he's going to take the job. And I'm loyal to the program. I'm loyal to the players. I'm not loyal to one individual because Graham Mertz is the future. He is a program changer. I think it might be happening at Michigan, whether Joe Milton, I think, lifts the Michigan level of, of quarterback play, but J.J. McCarthy has a chance to do it even more when he comes in as a five-star in the class of 2021. This is what will change the Big Ten. And it's starting with Graham Mertz, a quarterback that Ohio State wanted, a quarterback that everybody saw coming and only got the start because the starter got hurt. He's never given the job back. 
And if he comes back healthy and Wisconsin can keep this going, this changes an awful lot, not just about the Big Ten picture, but I would contend about the national playoff picture because I think a real quarterback at Wisconsin, and we saw Russell Wilson for one year, and they had two crazy close losses that year, one to Ohio State, or Wisconsin would have been right there too, changes everything about them, everything about them. Now, I don't think they have – their back is not as good as usual this year, but the quarterback's so much better, and he's not – He's. it's not just this year. He's going to be there for a couple years. The Graham Mertz era has started, and it's a real shame that he had a positive COVID test that's being reported on Sunday night. I guess they'll work, wait for confirmation, but Nathan, I mean, if he is positive, it's, it's really serious, both from a health standpoint and fingers crossed that this kid's okay. Um, this young man, but also from a competitive balance standpoint, cause he wouldn't play for a while if he's, if he's certain, if he's actually positive. Yeah, this is, this is the scenario that a lot of our listeners out there, a lot of our tech subscribers have reached out to us and said that they're worried about in terms of Ohio state players, like all it takes is one test to one player and if it's the wrong player their player is out for three weeks that's the big 10 protocol you miss a man minimum of 21 days before you return to competition there's 14 days of isolation and then seven days of reacclimatization. you basically have to go through another week of practice they don't want people just coming back and then playing games the next day after being completely inactive and um now we're watching wisconsin go through that maybe now, the other thing that could happen is he could get this other test as has happened with some other people uh nick saban i guess most prominently and find out He's fine. It was a mistaken positive and he gets to go back to practice and he'll play Saturday. Uh, both those things are just up there in the air now. And I think what's interesting about this is the timing aspect. They're finding this out on Sunday. So now they've got some time to figure this out. But I mean, what if this happens on a Saturday before a game or Friday night? Do you have enough time to get that other test, that confirming test back? I think there's that's still a legitimate question that fans have that we have. I'm not sure what the answer is to that. And there's still, that's why I've told people like, you know, Ohio State's going to put out that status report every Friday morning, but it's going to be a fluid situation this year, I think, as to what happens between 10 a.m. Friday morning and whenever they kick off on Saturday, um, who's available to play and who isn't. So again, I'm reading a reporting from Madison.com. He tested positive with the daily rapid antigen test, and he's taken a PCR nasal swab, which they think will take about a day to get back for a confirmation and then again, if, if he's out, he's out for 21 days. And that would mean he, he'll miss games against Nebraska, Purdue, and Michigan. And, and, and that Wisconsin-Michigan game is huge. It's the most important crossover game because Michigan handled Minnesota. And Minnesota was the other team people thought was a contender in the West. They did not look like that. Michigan handled Minnesota no problem. Wisconsin looks like the real deal. Ohio State doesn't play Wisconsin in a crossover. So Michigan-Wisconsin is a huge game and it's going to be a real shame if if Graham Mertz isn't able to take part in that but if if this second test is positive he's not it's not a, it's not a debate right I mean this is the 21 right. day window and I, right. we we certainly don't feel like it, it felt like there became some wiggle room like with the Nick Saban case because he then tested negative enough times that they kind of were like oh okay well right. that must have been a false positive it doesn't we don't know of any kind of wiggle room with the Big Ten right that this if this no, nasal I mean, this, swab is positive, that's it for three weeks. This all happened last a, a week ago right now. I think I can't remember if it was Sunday or Monday, but um, or maybe it was even Saturday. But the, the, uh, an email went out that uh, Jeff Brom, Purdue's coach, had the, tested positive through the initial testing. They were waiting for the next test to come back, but he just went home and they were going through that protocol. And then by the time he actually had a media availability the next day, he confirmed he had COVID-19. So then now there's, it's a different mandatory thing for coaches. They only have to be out for, I think, 14 days, 10 days, something like that. It's, it's the, the CDC guidelines. Um, and for, for this, for the players, it's, it's much more significant because they're, they're more, they're worried about their health in, in other ways. So this is, this is just what it is now. I mean, the big 10 is now, this is two and two weeks, pretty high profile situations. And, I don't think they're the last ones we're going to encounter. I mean, hopefully, just for Graham Mertz's own sake, obviously everybody hopes that he tests uh, negative and he can be back out there playing and more to the point is just healthy. But I, again, I, I'd be surprised if every – and it's probably happening in every program, even the ones we don't know about, right? I mean, we on yesterday yesterday's game, we tried to kind of keep track of who was inactive for Ohio State and who was actually there, and there were players that we saw there. I don't think – I didn't go down the whole list. Um, but the prominent ones who were inactive, I think we saw all of them on the field in street clothes or whatever. So um, 
you would presume not a COVID situation for those guys, but I would assume every program in the conference will be touched by this in some way at some point. And if, if, just, if not, not, not necessarily an infection, but at least having a test that suggests an infection and then having to deal with that. And it may be public and it may not. Which is just, I mean, which is why sports is just different than everything else, because it's two components. Everybody else in the country, you're just worried about health for the most part, even like even when the president got it. I mean, the concern was the president's health, but when he was, it wasn't like he, he couldn't president exactly. I mean, he was back out on the road. I mean, there wasn't, you know, if the big 10 was in charge of Donald Trump, he wouldn't have been able to do any rallies for 21 days after he tested positive. So like, there's just a, there's much more of a competitive balance issue that comes into this, that there's two issues and the health and safety thing is always first, but the second thing is more complicated because you can feel okay. You can be asymptomatic. You can, but 21 days is 21 days. And that means that, 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 that this is the Michigan game is the one that's three weeks away and other conferences aren't three weeks, right? Other conferences are more like 10 days or two weeks. If you miss something, Graham Mertz, who was the number 65 overall recruit, the number three pro style quarterback in the class of 2019. It's a top hundred national recruit at quarterback, Wisconsin at Wisconsin, which is why everybody's going so crazy about this, that he's currently 20 days away from playing Michigan. And if this second test comes back positive, he's not playing Michigan. That is what's hard. Uh, it doesn't mean it's wrong. But man, it's hard. It's hard for Wisconsin. It's hard for college football fans. And it immediately makes everybody think. I, I wasn't I I sent out a tweet on Saturday night looking forward to the Graham Mertz Justin Fields showdown in the Big Ten championship game in eight weeks. I wasn't kidding. One of my favorite things to do, and I realized how much I missed it, is to tweet stupid things on college, on on college football Saturdays. So that people can see, like, well, I did you and it's like it's Twitter. Could you relax? Could you like put down your your law school textbook and relax about college football Twitter at seven o'clock on a Saturday? Could you just chill out? I like sending out tweets that make people say, well, you got to take it one game at a time. But I also meant it. What's stopping a Graham Mertz? Tell me what's going to stop the Graham Mertz Justin Fields showdown. And it's like, aha, I got something that might stop it. COVID. Yeah, maybe. And I know there's questions out there from our texters about the timing of everything. And I think I, I've, I, I've not been one that's like pushed that like teams need to identify players individually necessarily. But once one has been identified, I do think there are some legitimate questions to ask. Like I assume he tested positive or I'm sorry, tested negative prior to the game Friday. But then before the weekend is out, he's testing positive. So there are just some questions out there about the timing that I think if the Big Ten and, the, and Wisconsin is up front about it, I think um, will help explain this situation to people. And there's there's good reporters in Wisconsin, and I assume they are going to be on top of that. But that's kind of one of the things that I'll be following here in the next few days. We are going to take a break there. We're going to come back and talk a little bit more specifically about uh, what's coming up for Ohio State. Stay with us. We are back on the Monday Madness edition of Buckeye Talk. This is story of the week. We didn't so even we do, but what did you buy? You did, did you buy or sell anything? Oh, you're right. Uh, we you spent, got so wrapped up in that. We spent well, 31 minutes on what I bought, which is what it's like to go clothes shopping with me at Kohl's. That was like me I, at the clearance rack when the plaid short sleeve shirts are 60% off. Just like oh, yeah. that. Kohl's. I actually need to go to Kohl's tomorrow. It's funny you bring that up. You reminded me of that. And I wish I had had someone reminding me. I had myself reminding me to say what I had bought or sold while you were talking and then I kept forgetting. I didn't have anything to write it down on and then I forgot. So yeah, we'll finish up margin call. What I am buying is Michigan and that's why you brought it up in your uh, discussion of um, of Wisconsin because again, that crossover game coming up in a couple of weeks and, and Graham Mertz may or not be able to play in it. Um, you know, I watched the Michigan-Minnesota game. I had picked Michigan to cover whatever that spread was, three and a half that I think, something like that going into that game. I was right on all three of those picks, by the way. Three and O oh for Baird. Three and O. Oh. Not on the one that I actually will have some repercussions from, but three and O oh on the other picks. And uh, it wasn't a perfect game by any stretch, I don't think, for Michigan. There was definitely some sloppy play, some turnovers that are a very unpredictable thing, and it's not something I don't think you can bank on every week being able to take the ball away from an opponent that much. They missed three field goals, I think, from just from what I remember watching the game uh, while I was doing some other stuff. But 
I, I bought Joe Milton. It was really interesting. You texted out last night or Saturday night to people. Something I had already like written down in my notes to write about in Madness, which was who Joe Milton reminded you of. Because I was having flashbacks to a rewatchable that we had just watched done a few weeks earlier. Retalkable, I should say a few weeks earlier about an Ohio state quarterback that I thought he resembled. And that was Cardell Jones. Like, I think there's, I went and looked like they're almost exactly the same height and weight. There are some similarities there. Although I think when you watch Cardell Jones, the way I kind of wrote it, it was like, he looks like this football um, machine that was built in a factory and they like got crazy and built like, you know, there's like the Hummer, but then there's like the supersized Hummer and they just like built like an insanely large version of this football machine for just like for, for fun and then put it out there and just let him kind of impose himself on opponents. And it didn't always, the games that we were watching, it didn't always look that smooth. It looked like sometimes he was a, a great athlete in something else, trying to adjust the football at times. I, I'm, I'm, it sounds like I'm like throwing him under the bus and I, he's obviously was a very talented quarterback and, and won big games. But Joe Milton looks a little bit more refined than that to me. He looks more like a quarterback to me. So they are similar in size. And, and when I sent that out, a decent number of texters said, yeah, I agree with the Cardale Jones comparison. And some people said, no, somebody said he doesn't throw the deep ball. He missed on it. Joe Milton threw a deep ball that he f- threw it with his wrist 60 yards. And you could tell he was holding himself back from throwing it 75 yards. And he still overthrew the guy. So he didn't put up huge numbers. He was 15 of 22 for 225. You said Michigan played was kind of loose in that game. I think it was loose good and not, not loose stools. It was loose good because I think there's a good loose and a bad loose and a foot loose. And that sometimes bad loose is like incompetent loose. Like, hey, the balls, we're dropping the ball everywhere. Good loose is like, we've got talent. We're kind of working it out. You kind of don't know exactly what we're going to do. Sometimes it's bad. Sometimes it's good. And I think in the 2014 Ohio State-Alabama game that you talked about that we did on Retalkables, the national semifinal, that's what it felt like Ohio State was. I think I said Ohio State was kind of loose in that game. They had the better players, but I thought Alabama played better as a team. Michigan's dream is to be Ohio State loose. Like, hey, this isn't perfect. But look, Joey Bosa's doing something. Look, Cardale Jones is doing something. Look, Ezekiel Elliott's on the edge. And they were not that. But they were closer to that, I think, on Saturday night with Joe Milton, with this Haskins guy who was running the ball, six carries for 82 yards. They definitely have some pass rushers with Quiddy Pay and some of these guys. They got after it a little bit, and they were imperfect but they were imperfect in a very encouraging way. I think for Michigan, because I think a lot of times when a Michigan plays Ohio state, what stands out is a talent differential. And it's like, Hey, maybe you had some kind of great Don Brown scheme that worked the other 10 games. And then you're playing these super fast, super talented guys. And you have no chance. This was a little bit more like, Hey, this isn't scheme. This isn't Jim Harbaugh has the offset tight end and he's going to have John O'Corn throw a six yard out. This is like, we don't know what this is going to look like, but look how tall our quarterback is. I thought it was very interesting for Michigan. And I will tell you the texters who I didn't get it. We're not going to get into this too much, but I was just texting the texters a little bit on Saturday night. Like I would text my friends like, Hey, what do you think of this? You, are you, I was like, are you watching Michigan? couple people texted back. They were a little worried. Like Michigan's game on Saturday night, I think it caught the eye of Ohio State fans. They're not worried is the wrong word, but it felt like Michigan had a little more something to them on Saturday night than I think maybe Ohio State fans were expecting. I, I, I think I voted Michigan seventh this week. I, I, I'm, I'm buying in. I mean, I think that that was an impressive road win. And I, again, I had called it because I thought Minnesota had lost enough guys on defense. I wasn't completely convinced that they were a complete team. I thought Michigan was just going to have a talent edge. I think that bore out. This is a really balanced offense, though, and not just in terms of the offense-defense split that they had in this game, but also, you know, Milton having a big game on the ground. So he's a dual-threat guy, really, d- despite his size. But then they split it up with a couple other running backs with Haskins and Charbonnet. I mean, I just think they're going to be a tough team. And, and when you start looking at, at, is this the year where they might be able to finally put up enough points to Matt to, to keep up with Ohio state? 
because that's really kind of been the missing thing. I mean, they're not going to really slow down. They're not going to stop Ohio State, and they're not going to stop them this year either. Ohio State's still going to be able to put up points against them, but can, can Michigan match that? Can Michigan take care of the ball well enough and then capitalize enough to, to put pressure on Ohio State? And one game in, I'm, I, I think it's more likely than I did having not seen them yet. Now, does that mean I'm picking Ohio State to lose to Michigan? No, but I'm just saying I, I, it is something that I think people should have on their radar. I think uh, the, I think the Wolverines might be legit. I'm going to clip that cut and put it on a T-shirt. Does that mean I'm picking Ohio State to lose to Michigan? Nathan Baird, Buckeye Talk. Really quickly on this, I, I, I think we did want to get into this a little bit. I did a quick Twitter poll. I should have done a texture poll. On Twitter, uh, after, while that was happening, I said, who's the second best team in the Big Ten? And we have not talked about the most surprising result of the Big Ten weekend, and maybe we'll get to it at some point. Who's the second best team in the Big Ten? Twitter poll, almost 2,000 votes. Wisconsin, Michigan, Penn State, or Rutgers? Wisconsin got 52%. Michigan got 33%. Shout out to the 11% who voted ironically for Rutgers. That's why I put it in there, of course. You voted Wisconsin 6, Michigan 7. Did you have any debate about that? Or were you fairly certain in your mind of like, yeah, Wisconsin's a little better than Michigan right now still? Yeah, I, it wasn't too much of a debate. But again, I was, I was also... Um... Voting drunk. with a healthy grammar. Oh, sorry. Right. Oh, no. <laughs> I wish I were drunk. It's usually I'm doing this at like 11 a.m. on Sunday morning. So how about a ballot? I'm brunch? drunk now. I'm drunk now. But I wasn't drunk this morning. Would your wife want to have like ballot brunch? Like you sit down, you have like a couple of mimosas and some uh, eggs Benedict and you could talk out your ballot with her. No, she'll 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 do the brunch part of it. But no, she doesn't want any ballot talk. Sorry, she's not. She's not here for the ballots. But anyway, did you want to finish? So, and then where, how many, what, what was the percentage for Penn State in that poll? Very low, uh, below Rutgers. Penn State got, well, let's see. Penn State got 4%, which again is one of those things. It's going back to the voting conversation, which I don't want to go back to the voting conversation, but it's one of those things I don't vote on. If you had to bet your life, if Indiana and Penn State played again tomorrow in a parking lot and you had to bet your life on it, who would you pick? That doesn't mean I, I would pick Penn State. But that doesn't mean I would rank Indiana ahead of Penn State. But I wanted to put Penn State in there because I don't think losing to Indiana when Michael Penix was actually a, a, a centimeter short of winning the game, I don't think that should rule out Penn State right. as the second-best team because they did put up a lot more yards. But they also do have some issues, I think, including I'm not – you know they're not certainly getting, I don't think, the level of quarterback play consistently – it, Wisconsin's getting for sure is going to be better. And I think Michigan's might be better too. So it's not just whether they won or lost, even though they put up some yards, I thought there were a couple holes in Penn state from that, but it doesn't mean they're going to be bad. They're not going to be bad. They're just, they had a tough loss and they have some issues. And we were writing and podcasting while that game was going on yesterday. So we didn't really get to watch. It. I haven't had a chance to watch it yet, but um, my understanding from reading some other things was that there's definitely a feeling out there that James Franklin had a played a heavy part in why Penn state lost that game too. So, so then how much do you factor that into when you're judging teams? Like one coach has a, a game where he makes bad decisions and gives away the game. Does that, you know, how do you judge the team against another team? But that's, again, that's nothing that we need to go into in depth about. I do think Penn state fans would tell you that James Franklin kind of has a history of making bad decisions that affect the team. So it's not a one-off, which means I think you do factor it into some degree. Fair, fair enough. Um, so now we'll go ahead to story of the week, which is the angle that we're most intrigued by from the Ohio State game that's coming up. And Ohio State on Saturday will be at Penn State. Won't be the same kind of Ohio State-Penn State game that we're used to. Won't be. It'll still be a night game, and it'll still be on ABC. So it'll be a lot of fanfare. Game day will be there, but it will not be a whiteout. It'll be an empty stadium unless the Big Ten makes a big change in uh, protocol for this week, and I don't anticipate that happening. So I think that's – I'm kind of bummed by that because I was looking forward to seeing a whiteout. Like I've never seen a white. I've never been to Beaver Stadium. I was looking forward to all these things for the first time this season, and now I don't get to have it. And I'm, that's certainly not the biggest, the biggest, <laughs> the the biggest circumstance to come out of COVID. But it, it's just one more thing that kind of bums you about this season. But what is your story of the week, Doug? Going into this game, I I think it's more of what we saw with the passing game, and I think to your point. This is Justin Fields, who at one point in his life thought he was going to call Beaver Stadium home. And this will be the one time in his, life, in his life that he plays in that stadium. And if this was a normal circumstance, I very vividly, and Ohio State fans remember this, very vividly remember Terrell Pryor going to Beaver Stadium. And like the Penn State fans were ready for him. They had Terrell Pryor's T-shirts in the parking lot. Like that was a quarterback that Penn State thought they should have had. Now, Terrell Pryor was from 
Pennsylvania, but he also actually never committed to Penn State. They just thought he maybe was going to. Justin Fields is from Georgia. He actually committed to Penn State. So it would have been great to see what these Penn State fans would have had for Justin Fields going into this. But it's going to be game two. It's going to be in prime time. I'm sorry, I don't know this. Is this Fowler Fowler and Herbie? Is that what we're assuming the announcing crew is? This is like... So this is no offense to uh, to Gus and Joel and the noon game on Fox, which is a, a you know a showcase game as well, but this is going to be a further introduction of, at the very least, Garrett Wilson. And again, we have no information than other than what we knew post game about Chris Olave. So I'll we'll assume that Chris Olave is going to be able to play that threesome. That threesome, and I, there were texters with the terrible, terrible injury to Alabama receiver Jalen Waddle that knocked him out for the season. People asking, no, does Ohio State have the best receiver combo in the country? Now I'll tell you, Bama still got two guys. They still got two guys that are pretty good. And we can play that game, and I think we should play that game at some point. How do Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson match up against anybody? But we had a lot of questions in the postgame pod, but I think this continues to be a showcase game for these two guys who I expect will be chucking it all over an empty Beaver Stadium. If Chris Olave can't play, how much do you think that affects Ohio State? I mean, can they still – because we just haven't seen enough from those other guys yet. I mean, Jameson Williams was not targeted very much. Neither were any of the true freshmen on Saturday. Um, they got some play, They got they, and they did get some targets. It's not like they were ignored. But we, you know, it was very obvious that Justin Fields had two main guys, first and foremost, in his sights – on Saturday and you take one of those guys out completely. How does that affect them going into that game? I would imagine they would throw to the guy who would have had a chance to be the most impactful Penn state recruit of the last 10 years. Had he chosen to go down the street to Penn state instead of come to Ohio state. So like, if you're talking about storylines it's your turn, Julian Fleming, let's see what you got in Beaver stadium in, in your home state. So I'd love to see it. They'd miss him. Uh, we're playing this game with the Browns right now, you know, and, and I, it's one of those things you, you want to have faith in the backups. I don't like next man up. I'm happy to be proven wrong on next man up, but a starter is a starter for a reason because, because he's better than the backup. So I'm not going to sit here and say Julian Fleming would be as good as Chris Olave, but if this is your time now, it's not, you're not a luxury anymore. We need you because Olave and Wilson played a lot of snaps on Saturday. If they need Julian Fleming, I'd love to see it. Love to see what that would be like. Two guys. Can you imagine? And we've done this and we don't have to do it again. If Ohio State was going to Penn State to play against Justin Fields and Julian Fleming this weekend, what we would be writing about, what people would be thinking about Penn State, and guess what? Penn State wouldn't be 0-1 if that was the case. I guarantee you that. So that's going to be... That'd be quite a scene, but I'd, I'd be happy to see Julian Fleming take advantage of that if he's called upon. Who would be Ohio State's quarterback in that scenario? If uh, Justin Fields was Penn State's quarterback, I got yeah. I got a little one for you. I got a little eight. I got a little headband action for you. I got a little wiggle. I got a little five, nine and a half. Got a little zone read. Got a little Vegas action. Got a little South Beach. Cha-cha-cha. We're talking about the tater man. Hey there, Tate. And how much would Penn State be favored by? They would be favored by 26. (laughs) I don't know about that, but I think they would be favored. We'll come back to that in a second. Um, My story of the week, it's the the other side of the ball, and it's just the the defensive progression. You know, last week was about setting a baseline, I thought, and teams are so different. I mean, this matchup is different than what Nebraska throws at you in in a lot of ways. And and Penn State's still trying to figure some things out, with some of the personnel that they've lost on both sides of the ball, but Ohio state clearly need, you know, made some adjustments over the course of that game, played better over the course of that game. But I think there was still enough there that they would have to look at that and say, that's something the defense has to grow from that. That that there used to be an improvement, especially from how they defended the run um, and where they need to summon a pass rush from somewhere. There wasn't much of one um, for, for long stretches of that game on Saturday. Again, though, a different opponent, more mobile quarterback, that sort of thing. So it's more just about w- what are the progressions that are made. And I think that's both in the improvements of play that we see from individuals and units and the defense as a whole. But then also, do they make some adjustments this week in terms of personnel? Do they say, hey, we tried this, it didn't work, this guy needs to go there, or uh, this guy needs more snaps? You know, Does Zach Harrison need to be farther up in the defensive end rotation? Those sorts of things. Uh, can Teron Vincent come back and play yet? I think he, he He'll be an important addition to this defense 
we presume if and when he does get to play, although I'm saying that completely on faith and recruiting rankings basically at this point, because I've still never seen him actually play football in person. So um, that's still, I, I think that's just still the, the, the storyline that decides, I still think the thing that makes this team the most vulnerable to not have the season it wants is something on defense. It's, it's um, the vulnerabilities against the run it is the the secondary not being able to match up against another really talented team as far as receivers. And I don't think the prison state necessarily presents that part of it this week, but that's still the thing that needs to rise to another level more than the offense does. And this week is just the next step in that. I think Shaka Tony is going to get after it for Penn state's pass rush. So we'll be, we'll be yeah. curious to see if, if Ohio state can bring the pass rush a bit. And just to touch on something you said there, would we see any personnel changes from week one to week two is it more likely perhaps because we did not, they did not have as much of a true off season and as much of a, of a true preseason that normally by week one, these coaches know their guys. They're not wondering. They're curious to see what some of the younger guys who haven't played the new starters, what they do under the bright lights, but they know what, how good a guy, how, what kind of players these guys are. And I think they probably know less this year than they did before. And I always tell the story. I'm not going to say the guy's name, but there was an, 12 years ago, there was an Ohio State safety who, like, was the week one starter, played, wasn't that good, got replaced in week two, and, like, vanished. Like, never played meaningful snaps again. I'm not saying that's going to happen to anybody, but I'm curious to what you said about sort of, like, defensive ends. Like, how do they – who's going to get maybe more snaps? How are they going to work that rotation? And I'm also I'm also curious if Steel Chambers gets a couple more snaps in the running back rotation. Um, and I think it's some – those are some of the things I want to ask Ryan Day about this week, whether – they learned more from a week one game than they normally would have because they learned less over the course of the last nine or 10 months. Yeah. There were so many questions that we asked in the preseason that the answer was, well, we haven't seen them take hits in practice yet. We haven't seen, you know, they haven't seen them really go at it yet. And I think that even as recently as like, two weeks ago, even after contact drills had started after full contact had started and they seemed to have already had some scrimmages, they were still saying some things like that. So I just thought this, it really did seem like this coaching staff was still kind of um, aggregating information about its, their own team more at this stage of the year, more than they had been in previous years. So we will see if that first week makes a difference. We're going to take another break right there. We are going to come back and wrap up Monday madness on Buckeye talk. All right, time to walk the line here on Buckeye Talk. This is where we discuss the Ohio State betting line, whether it seems too high or too low. The Ohio State-Penn State game, they opened as, the Buckeyes opened as eight-point favorites per Circa Sports. They are now up to 10-point favorites when I checked right before the pod started. I've seen someone said that that line was up to like 11 or 11 and a half on, on some books, and I, I assume that it might grow a little bit over the course of the week. I don't know. Eight seemed astonishingly low when I first saw it, considering just the fact that Penn State had lost. I know it's going to be a home game, but I I would think that home games don't quite mean as much this season as they do in most seasons. Uh, 10 is getting closer to where I thought it would be, but I actually thought it would be higher than that as well. Yeah, it's hard because of the recent history. You know, Penn State wins in State College in 2016. The 2017 and 2018 games, Penn State's ahead and Ohio State comes back and wins by one, right? I think this game could look much more like last year's game that was close, right? That was like a dog fight and that Ohio state was ahead. And then Penn state came back and Justin Fields had to play until the end. And that's why he got hurt, but it was an 11 point win. So to me, anything that was like less than two scores, like eight was like, you don't think Ohio state's going to win by like a touchdown and a field goal. That is a, maybe I said, that's an easy Ohio state bet to me. Like anything short of 10, would be hit Ohio state hard. I will give up to 10 with Ohio state without a second thought. Now, if it's creeping up higher than that, now you're starting to get into a range where Ohio state could like win without really being threatened about losing the game. But yet Penn state is tough. Penn state is not afraid of Ohio state. Penn state is the least afraid of Ohio state of any program in the big 10, maybe other than Purdue because Purdue has the weird success, but if Ohio State is the bully on the block, Penn State's not afraid of Ohio State because Penn State's only like an inch shorter and 15 pounds lighter than Ohio State. And everybody else is like six inches shorter and 60 pounds lighter than Ohio State. So Penn State's smaller, but they're not 
scared out of their minds by Ohio State, and they're willing to stand in and throw some punches. Purdue is like nine inches shorter and 90 pounds lighter, and it's like, come get some of this, Ohio State. What do you think of that? That kind of thing. And it's like, then that like Purdue like punches Ohio State in the groin and runs away, and Ohio State's like, oh! And Purdue's like, we win five times out of nine! And it's like, how does anyone explain that? This is a real fight. Penn State's not scared. So how do you factor not scared into a line? I don't know, but I'll tell you what. I've watched enough Ohio State football games over the last 16 years. Lots of teams are scared. And lots of teams, even if they get ahead, have no idea what to do. They're like, oh, God, we made it mad. Like It's like they get the first shot in Penn. Ohio State's like, here, go ahead, hit me. You hit me first. And they're like, okay. And they hit Ohio State right in the face. And then Ohio State like turns its head back and is like, <laughs> and they're like, why did we do that? Penn State's not like that. And that matters. And I do think James Franklin has some in-game issues, but he gets his guys up for this game. And if you think it's going to be easy because they lost to Indiana, I do think that line of thinking from Ohio State fans is probably wrong. Yeah, that's going to be, I think, heavily discussed in uh, in my madness column tomorrow. This is a 28-17 game last season at Ohio State. A, a, I would say, more talented Ohio State team, both sides of the ball. Still an 11-point game. Um, so that may factor into, you know, recent history. The recent history in State College, the, the way this game was played last year. And I, it would be fascinating someday to do a story and, like, sit down with a, a an odds maker on, like, a Friday or whenever they start like looking ahead to the next week's games. Do they wait until after every game is done on Saturday before they start doing this math or do they already have an idea of what a line is going to be? And then how does it adjust based on the previous weekend's games? Cause I mean, are, are the, the guys who do this for a living Vegas has a pretty good record of setting these lines. I mean, they, they, that's, that's how they built all those, those places that keep taking our money. Um, and do they look at that Penn state result and see a game that Penn state, should have won and maybe with a different camera angle did win and say, and that's how they set the line based on what people might think of that or what they think of that. I don't know that, that I think that's part of it. Um, I'm sure that goes into the math a little bit. And you just have to remind people again, we're talking about the recent history, the last three trips to state college, one point Ohio state win when they trailed the whole game. And then in the fourth quarter, they figured out to tell Dwayne Haskins to throw screens and Ohio state's offense. The first three quarters did nothing. Block, special teams block and return for a game-winning score in 2016. And 2014, against the national champs, double overtime. It took double overtime for Ohio State to win at Penn State the year they won the national championship. So that's how hard it's been there. And yes, it's not going to be a whiteout, and that matters a lot. That matters a lot. But these guys are tough, man. Penn State's tough. One other thing about the line I thought was interesting that the over under total that came out first was 68 and a half on circa and within like an hour, not, not that much time at all. It had gone all the way down to 62 and a half. So there's a lot of people hammering the under you would assume based on that. Um, and I thought 68 and a half seemed pretty high for the kind of point spread that they were putting on it. But I don't know how much those things are necessarily related because it's not really about what you're predicting. It's about they're trying to get money on both sides of these lines. But I don't know that 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 strike me a little bit as interesting that the money kept that many came in pretty heavy on this being a lower scoring game than they initially put it at. I mean, that would be if that's right. That's you're thinking Ohio State scoring like 40, right? If you're putting up that the line's like 68. And yeah, you're like thinking it's like 40 to 30. And and again, Ohio State 28 last year, 27 two years ago, 39. In 2017, only with the miracle comeback, 21 in 2016, 38 in 2015, 31 in 2014, but that's in double overtime. They haven't really hung one on Penn State since they won 63-14 in 2013, but just the the Penn State program was at a very different place then. So this is not, yes, Micah Parsons is gone, but as we talked about when he opted out, they've got some linebackers, they've got some pass rushers. I do feel like at times people feel like you can throw on Penn State a little bit, so that's probably a good matchup for Ohio state. It's like, okay, especially if Olave is okay and he can play, I, I, I don't know um, that they're going to count on being able to cover Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson, but I also don't know that you automatically are thinking they drop a 40 spot that Ohio state drops a 40 spot here. 
Next up is fear factor. And I think it ties into what we're talking about a, a little bit, but it, it's, it's basically how much should Ohio State fans be concerned about this next game? And as we said last week when we introduced this, it's not necessarily how what percentage are you putting on this that Penn State beats Ohio State. It's also how much, especially if they affected last week, how we looked at this because it was a season opener. So how much does Ohio State like not look like you expect them to look? How much should you be worried about just the season in general based on this game? I think that gets a, a little bit shortened this week, but it's also I, I, it's a better opponent that you're playing. You are going on the road for the first time. I'm setting the fear factor for this game at 37%. Not again, 37% that I think Ohio State loses this game, but also that Anything that looked a little bit off in that first game either gets magnified by playing a better opponent on the road or doesn't get corrected the way that you would expect it to between week one and week two, that there's still could you could still come out of this next game with a pretty healthy skepticism of either certain aspects of this team or just how um, how likely it is that the entire team reaches its the ceiling everyone has set for it this season. I think that's a good number. I'm going to say 45%, a little bit higher, but I think there are a couple things here. One is, and I don't know if we, what, what, what's the actual number of what, look it up. How many, the number of yards Penn State actually gained against Indiana. I do think it's almost like one of those, if you're, you're trying to do a fear factor, I think I'm upping the fear factor because Penn State lost, because I think it just is a natural tendency of everybody, of every fan base, perhaps every, um, every team a little bit that, Oh, I mean, this team's coming off a loss. I can't believe they couldn't even beat Indiana. You know, how, how good could they be when actually I think, you know, they're still pretty good. So let's look at this. Oh, Penn state put up 488 yards of offense. Uh, that was 10 fewer yards than Ohio state put up Northwestern put up 537 this week. Then it's 498 Ohio state, 488 Penn state. So they moved the ball. They just didn't score. They, they screwed up, but this is an offense that can move it against an Ohio State defense that we still have a few questions about. I do think Penn State has a pass rush. They aren't afraid of them. And I still have questions about the Ohio State run game. Now, we did get some stuff from texters. There was this one smart texter who said, like, hey, listen, I rewatched it. I think it was run fits. I think Nebraska was doing some stunts that were throwing off, was throwing off the Ohio State offensive line. I'm not that worried about the run game. I really think it was just sort of like a scheme thing, and it wasn't like Sermon and Teague are going to get stuffed all the time. But I just, there's enough things that I think if you let your, I jack it up, the, I'm jacking it up to 45 as a reminder of don't let your guard down, right? Because yeah. Penn State should have won and they didn't. And don't think of them as like the 20th best team in the country. They're still in a lot of ways, even without Journey Brown and without Michael Parsons, a top 10 team. Just, just to fully flesh out that point you were making, Indiana, 211 total yards. Penn State had more rushing yards and more passing yards than Indiana had total yards. That's how much they outgained them in this game. Had a, a two to one, more than two to one in time of possession, uh, 27 first downs to 16. I mean, just every comparison, Penn State wins this game except the one that matters on the scoreboard. And it's one of those things, I, I think this is, you got to figure out how good is Penn State, right? And then once you try to think to yourself how good they are, I think you have to assume you get the best version of them. That was not the best version of Penn State at Indiana. But I think you have to assume you get the because that's the history. Now, they weren't great last year, but they fought back. Ohio State let them back in the game with some loose turnovers. Fields had the goal line fumble. Fields fumbled again later. I think J.K. Dobbins fumbled again later. Ohio State put the ball on the ground to a great degree to keep Penn State in it. But then, then Penn State took it. They took a fumble and marched down a short field and scored a touchdown and, and I think cut it to the three or whatever it was in the third quarter. So – this is a team that knows what's up and they got stung, but assume that whatever the best version of Penn state is that will show up on Saturday night. Well, it's not a team that got stung. I mean, this is a, this is a wounded animal. It's an animal. It's kind of backed into a corner. Now it's an, it's a lion. It's a nittany lion. That's been backed into a corner and wounded. It's all of the, it's all those cliches because now, I mean, if, if they had aspirations of fighting to try to get a playoff spot, they, they have no room for error now. They've got to win this game. I mean, this is it. This is their only chance to keep that out, any chance of that dream alive. And I, I think that dream was pretty compromised without uh, Parsons and Journey Brown. I don't think that they were going to beat Ohio State heads up that way. But I kind of agree with you that I think that now that now that they've lost this game, I, don't, I think you certainly don't come into this game with any kind of overconfidence. 
you're not, you know, that I think it, it magnifies the, the intensity you have for this game. If you're a Penn state player, or at least it would, if it were me, because I know that this is, this game has even more meaning now. It's one of those things it did, it, you know, if Penn state wins out, they're going to the playoff. So, I mean, it's like, the, you know, right. but, but they just have to win out, but they would like, they probably would have had to win out anyway. So um, the other thing to keep in mind, Noah Kane, who became their starting running back with the medical issue with journey Brown left the Indiana game pretty early, only had three carries for 13 yards. He was injured in that game. I have no idea what his status is, but again, there were just some, a lot of things went against Penn state against Indiana. And speaking of the playoff, we're closing things up with who's your four, which could either be who are our four playoff teams or who is your number four, which is actually still, I think the more pertinent question, because I'm sure that we still have the same one through three, but Doug, go ahead. Who are your four college football playoff teams as of Monday morning, October 26th? So I want to bring this up because this was some angst expressed by several texters over the weekend. Again, if you want to be part of that and express, pay money to express angst to us, you can do that by texting 614-350-3315 and join the crowd. They, people were worried about how the Penn State loss negatively affects Ohio State in the perception of the playoff race. If, they sure. go, if you go beat Penn State, does it not look as good? That kind of thing. Um, I thought it was not that big of a deal because I think – Michigan and Wisconsin looking good, balance that out. Mm-hmm. Indiana, all of a sudden, if you beat when you beat Indiana, that looks a little bit better, right? It wasn't like Penn State went and lost a non-conference game. They lost to a team that you're also going to play. And so I, I, I just would advise fans, don't get caught up in that. And I, the thing I said, I think Ohio State's headed for the three seed unless Alabama or Clemson give it back anyway. So just don't, of all the things that should occupy, occupy your mind right now, does a future opponent losing affect the respect level of Ohio State is not very high on that. Because I think, yes, of course, if Alabama or Clemson lose and Ohio State goes undefeated, they'll pass them. I also think there's an opening for like, hey, Clemson beat Wake Forest by one when Wake Forest dropped the two-point conversion pass in the last play of the game. One of those wins that feels like a loss, that it cracks the door. But I think if Bama or Clemson don't have those, they're going to stay ahead of Ohio State. So you can't control that. So it doesn't matter what Penn State did, because I don't think you're getting ahead of them unless they crack the door. So that's just don't let that enter your mind. Because my fourth team, and I'm going to keep it there even with this, is now Wisconsin. I think the math, I think the path for Wisconsin to be undefeated to the Big Ten championship game and lose to undefeated Ohio State, and we are, the committee is wading through the morass of all these one-loss teams. And this is a, a Wisconsin team that looks different. They have more a more balanced offense. And if they hang with Ohio State, and you're trying to say, well, who's for? Well, whoever Alabama's beat in the SEC championship game, that they might be taking loss number two there, right? Whoever Clemson's beating in the ACC championship, they might be taking loss number two there, right? So if it's if you're looking to take a conference championship game loser as the fourth team, which I think may very well be the case, if you're disrespecting the Big 12 and ruling out the short season, who's the team Pac-12? So your most likely fourth team is the Big Ten ACC or SEC championship game loser. I think Wisconsin absolutely has a path. Now, they got to look good. They got to roll. They got to merch it up for nine weeks. And then they have they got to merch it up for eight and then hang with Ohio State in week nine. But that's who I'm putting there now. And I don't think it's crazy to have Wisconsin there ahead of Notre Dame or Georgia or whoever else you think is going to lose those other championship games. So I, I love that thinking. And I actually was, that was one of the things I was kind of toying with. I, what I ultimately came up with this week though, last week I said, Georgia, the more I think about that, I, I, I don't know if I agree with myself. Uh, it's just, I think it's going to be a hard road. I, I think that Alabama is just better than enough that they're going to beat them twice. Now um, I, I voted Alabama number one this week in my AP poll. And I think they may be the best team in the country right now. Obviously I do. That's why I voted number one. So I'm taking another team that I actually don't believe in, but that I think that the path might be there for them. But we're going to find out in these next couple of weeks. And I don't feel good about it, but I'm taking Oklahoma State, who I don't think will be Boo! one of the four best teams, who I don't think will be one of the four best teams in the country. You think they're but, getting through undefeated? Do you think they're getting through undefeated? 
I think they might because I don't I, I, I don't really believe in Oklahoma and Texas this year. And Oklahoma State is so far playing defense. Now, they haven't played a team as good as Texas. They haven't played a quarterback as good as Sam Mellinger, I guess is a better way to say it so far. But that's about to happen. They just beat Iowa State at home. It was a close game, three-point win at home. Uh, they beat West Virginia at home by a couple touchdowns. They're not blowing people out, but they're winning, and they're beating other the, the kinds of teams that the teams that now we think are going to beat Oklahoma State can't beat. It's, a, it's the level of team that those teams are losing to. So then now do I assume that Oklahoma State's going to lose those games? I don't know. But here's we're going to find out. We're going to know how wrong I was in the next three weeks because our next three weeks are Saturday, they're home against Texas. A week from that, they're at Kansas State which I think is ranked a little too high. They're, they're number 16 right now, but they're legitimately decent. And then at Oklahoma, uh, two weeks after that. So that's it. That, I mean, that decides it for them. And then even home games against Texas Tech and a road game at TCU are not – it's not like they're playing uh, Maryland and uh, a MAC team. I mean, they're, they're, they're still going to have to show up to win those games. So do I believe they're going to get through undefeated? Do you, believe, do you believe any part of what you've been saying for the last 30 seconds – no, I, but I don't know who don't to believe in as believe far it. as a four team because I don't know that I believe that I don't really believe that Wisconsin's going to go undefeated. Can I believe? Can I give you advice on who to believe? Who might be anyone other than Mike Gundy? Can that be? Well, that might be team? fair. But I mean, I, especially after hearing what we did tonight, like if Graham Mertz can't play, I don't know that they're getting through these next three games undefeated, let alone the rest of this season. I'm willing to let you off the bet if you can answer this question. I'm not saying I will, but I'd ponder it. Who is Oklahoma State's quarterback? I don't know that off the top of my head. Okay. It's someone who's not as good as Graham Mertz. I bet Oklahoma State loses three games this year. They are the exact kind of team that is like, hello, Oklahoma State, who is kind of fake good every year. Hello. Hello, 8-9 win Oklahoma State. Would you like a free path to the college football playoff? Here you go. And then they say no. And then they say, (laughs) no, we're fine. Instead, we would like to lose our next three games. I will bet you that Oklahoma State loses three games this year. And they I would very not well be, might lose these next three. I just the said next it. Like, three. I, mean, I think they right. do. I think they collapse in on themselves because they do not know what to do. And so that's the hard part about this. I mean, it's, it is quite a search, my friend. It is I know. I mean, quite a every, search. Every team that – because I, I, I don't disagree necessarily with what you're saying. And I'll probably have a new team next week when we do this, even if they win maybe. But it's like every team that you go down the list – you're like, okay, well, Wisconsin. Well, okay, well, what just happened with Graham Mertz? And even with Graham Mertz, I don't know. I still see games on that side of the schedule that can trip them up. I, even going at Nebraska this week, Nebraska is not that great. But now, especially without Graham Mertz, uh, is is Wisconsin clearly heads and tails better than Nebraska playing at home that has something to prove now? You know, a team like uh, we already saw what, Michigan. How about a team like Michigan? That's another team that Minnesota, uh, Wisconsin's going to have to play. But do you believe that Michigan's going to beat Ohio State? And if not, can they get in without even having played in the conference championship? I don't know. I mean, there's, I can give you Notre Dame. Are they going to beat Clemson head to head? I mean, there's all sorts of things that you have to check off with every single team. And I, I felt like there's a con against every team that you try to put in that fourth spot right now. I mean, I think, I think Notre Dame and Georgia kind of have chances to make cases that even if they lose twice to the same team, they could get in right. Because there's nobody else. I think you it's know, how I, you lose. I think it's going to be how you lose. If they, if, 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 the, if Clemson and Notre Dame, for instance, played two really tight games, then maybe, and Clemson just happens to win them both. And uh, you could even argue that the score of the Alabama-Georgia game, if you really scrutinize it, is a little bit more lopsided than how most of that game was played. So if they played another tight game for the SEC championship, but I think that's a tougher case to make. Uh, they were talking about Georgia on the Fox pregame show, and I heard Urban talking about Fox, and he talked about it the way like a committee person would talk about it, which is like they have great – it's like they have a great defense. They have athletes. They, have, they're, they recruit great – they play in a tough conference, you know, their, their quarterback's a game manager, but like, there's a lot that you can talk yourself into about Georgia. And then their two losses are to Alabama twice. And otherwise they look pretty good. I could see the committee talking itself into that. And so, which is why Wisconsin's got to put on a show the rest of the time to help talk them out of that, that one loss Wisconsin would deserve it more than two lost Georgia. But that's the craziest thing about that. That really is. It's one of those things. If Georgia, did not have to play Bama in a crossover regular season game this year. I think you could practically lock Georgia in to the fourth spot. That it's like, okay, Florida is infected. And, and I don't know, they already lost. It's like, okay, well, if you think Georgia's getting through undefeated, the SEC championship game, get through, lose to Bama and you're in. 
But the fact that they might have that second loss, I think, cracks the door. So this is going to be a question with no real answer, especially so early. You know, it's not going to be another two or three weeks, Nathan, until we really are able to wrap our our hands at all around the idea of a legitimate question, a legitimate discussion about number four. But first, if Oklahoma State does lose a couple games here, the Big 12 is out. Like, it's not we think the Big 12 is out. The Big 12 is out. And yeah, if they're Oregon, the weight of a conference right now on their shoulders. And if USC or Oregon lose early, get upset early in that six game season or whatever, like the Pac 12's out. They can, and then we're really going to be down to this. And the fact that Notre Dame is not an independent and is going to be playing in a conference championship game sets them up for a second loss or that they wouldn't normally get. That's a complicating factor. It really is just setting itself up as it's, it's the, the battle for the best loser. And, I just think Wisconsin might be very competitive in the best loser competition. I can hear it. By the way, Oklahoma State's quarterback is Spencer Sanders. I know you really want to know that. He was injured and then came back, and his first game back was this game against Iowa State that they won this past weekend. So You mean Spencer Sanders down then from Lubbock? Who That's went Colonel Sanders. Black Gundy? Oh, does he you're, thinking of, you're thinking of Colonel Sanders. I'm trying to make sure I differentiate like my Texas accent from my Stetson Barnett. This is Stetson Barnett. I was impressed with Graham Mertz's performance. I I consider Graham Mertz the Stetson Barnett of the North. He is Yankee Stetson Barnett in my book. It's weird that Oklahoma State and Oklahoma both have quarterbacks named Spencer. Isn't it? What do you think that of the name, was <laughs> uh, Name Nathan's child. On the next Buckeye Talk. Hey, listen, I did not yet go through. We will do it. The plan, I think, for the Wednesday pod, again, everybody, just so you know, we take a break now on Tuesdays because we have lives. And the Wednesday pod, I think we're going to have partly a crossover with Blue White Breakdown, which is the new Penn State podcast with our friends, uh, Dave Jones, Bob Flounders, Greg Pickle, who cover Penn State. I think we're going to try to do a crossover so that it'll just be one episode. They can run it. We can run it. We'll probably add to the end because I don't think they go like an hour and a half because who does that, but that will be the pot. I will get it ready and we will present the best bet losing options to Nathan. And we will decide in the next podcast, what he maybe has to do since Jack Miller and Ryan day conspired to ruin his life. I really, I'm, I'm absolving Jack Miller after Ryan day said what he said in the press conference after the game, I'm absolving Jack Miller. He is no longer dead to me. He now has an opportunity to have a, a full, and a flourishing career as an Ohio state Buckeye without me putting his career in a coffin from day one. So he's got that going for him. Very big of you. (laughs) Uh, As Doug said, no Tuesday pod come back to us on Wednesday. Um, Full big pod. We get Ryan day that day. We're getting Ohio state players earlier that day. So we'll give you some reactions, both what they had to say um, more scrutiny given to the Nebraska game, but also looking ahead to the big one um, against Penn state on Saturday. And that was Buckeye talk. (laughs) 